Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church and the founder of Valor Christian College, the School of the Spirit. Now, on this podcast, I'm putting together powerful messages, practical teachings, and insightful lectures from over 40 years of full-time ministry. So get ready, open up your heart, and let's head into today's episode. Now, today's episode, part three of Effective Leadership 300, is called Blindsided Lessons from the School of Hard Knocks. I made a digital study guide for you to follow along. Sure hope you will. You can request it right now at rodparsley.com slash leadership 300. Now let's dive into this powerful and practical message that I believe could be a great help to your leadership skills. All right, well tonight we make the halfway point, don't we? Amen, you can be seated. Tonight we're going to discuss the subject, blindsided lessons from the school of hard knocks. Some of you have a PhD, right? I mean a PhD in the school of hard knocks, right? If you have one, wave your hand. I've got one. I've been battered and batted around a little bit myself. How about you? All right, well, we should have learned something from every one of those situations. Every man is your teacher and that you might learn something from every man. Every situation is your instructor. I've already given you three quotes. Every situation is your instructor in that it might persuade you of some life value that you didn't have prior to going into it and coming through it successfully. Everybody shout successfully. You ought to just take a deep breath and thank God right now that you have come through every situation, every circumstance, every battle, every trial, every temptation successfully. Look at you here tonight with your happy head, heart, and hands uplifted in praise saying, I made it this far. And that's a good indication that the same God that delivered you from the hand of the lion, and you never thought you'd get out of that one, is the same God that delivered you from the hand of the bear, and you sure enough didn't think he'd get out of that one, is the same God that delivered you from the hand of the uncircumcised Philistine. He has delivered, he does deliver, and your Bible says he shall yet deliver. So somebody thank him right now that he is your deliverer and he is your deliverance. Hallelujah. Let me give you grammar lesson number one. Survey says the difference in commonly confused words. This one's a fun one. Two, T-O. Two, T-O-O. And two, T-W-O. The first one, two, T-O, is used to indicate the person, place, or thing that someone or something moves, here's an easy way to remember it, toward. For example, uh, the Yoders went to Effective Leadership 300 class. You understand? To, T-O, toward a goal, toward something. It's used to indicate the place where someone participates in a particular activity. It's used to indicate the direction something is moving. To, T-O-O, is in addition. More than what is wanted, more than what is needed, more than what is acceptable, i.e., For example, before you came, you may have had too much pie. Yes? So two, more than enough, to a higher degree or extent, T-W-O, most everybody gets, being more than one in number. For example, if any two of you on earth agree as touching any one thing that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by our Father which is in heaven. So let's give him praise for that right now. Your first quote this week is this, be faithful in small things because it is in them that your truth lies. That's Miss Joni's favorite, Mother Teresa. Be faithful 
in small things because it is in them that your truth lies. The scripture that references that, Luke 16, 10, if you are faithful in little things, I wish I had the entire hour to spend right here. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you will not be honest with greater responsibilities. Let me just parenthetically insert this for you because it's something that I've learned over the last 40 years and at times having as many as 600 people on staff at one time, several major businesses, 14 major ministries. Here's what I've learned. The individual who will lie to you will steal from you. You sit in my, in my boardroom and I know you're lying to me, you're a thief too. People who will steal from you will also lie to you. If your child has a problem with lying, your, your child will have a problem with stealing. If your child has a problem with stealing, your child will have a problem with lying. It is the same spirit. They are twin brothers. Don't allow yourself to lie. There is no such thing as a little white lie and deception is the same as lying. You try to sidestep, shuck and jive, juke and jive. When you know the truth and you're sidestepping that truth, you are lying. Don't do it. Don't let yourself get in the habit of being unfaithful in little things. Don't lie. Say, I'm not going to. Your integrity means more than anything that you'd lie about. That was free, everybody say it was good too. All right, Jude, uh, Judges chapter six, verse 12. I always like to give you a little something out of the story of Gideon in Judges six and Judges seven. So let me give you Judges six, 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you. That was Gideon's strength. That was his might that God was with him. I've got good gospel news for every one of you. No matter what situation you're in, no matter what position of leadership you're in, no matter what position of leadership you aspire to, God is with you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Hell now let, let me finish the verse, let me finish the verse so I, don't, so I don't get ahead of myself. The Lord is with you and then he really messes it up because Gideon is hiding in the wine press, threshing, attempting to hide from his adversaries rather than confronting them. And God's response to him is you are a mighty man of valor. I dare you to say right now, I Come on, open your mouth. I am a mighty. You can stop right there, couldn't you? Because though you may be small yet, you are fierce. Hallelujah. Say I, right now, right now, I, I, right now, right now, I am a mighty man or woman. <laughs> Whichever, no, 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 no. You have to be one or the other. You can't be both. That's a whole other service. All right, so let's say it together. I, right now, am a mighty man and woman. There you go. I, right now, am a mighty. Now, how many of you feel better than before we started saying this? Of course you do, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You're a mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor. That's who you are. I don't care what they said about you. I tell people that all the time. I think you're wonderful. I don't care what they say about you. Please don't do that to people. Please, please don't give people left-handed compliments. Here's one I always love. Well, Pastor, I just want to tell you, I was at the barbershop this week, and they were talking about you, but I stood up for you. Well, thank you so very much. <laughs> just don't tell me. Hallelujah. 
I said, hallelujah. hallelujah. And you don't have to always tell people what you're asking for forgiveness for either. Why do you want to plant a seed in their mind of the terrible thing you thought about them? Oh, this is good. Amen. <laughs> so what I want you to know is hell will fight you every step of the way over what heaven has called you. Amen. But you know who you are. Luke 4. Satan questioned Jesus over his identity. He'll question you over yours. If you are the son of God, if you are a mighty man or woman of valor, well, just let hell question and then show up as who you know you are. Jesus didn't get offended in Luke chapter four when he closed the book and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. They looked at him like, who do you think you are? And he looked right back at him like, I know exactly who I am. I'm the son of God and you are an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are born again of the spirit of God, born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. You're a somebody looking for a place to explode. Glory to Somebody ought to just get a little Presbyterian out of that right there. Hell will challenge you over what heaven calls you. These, you are a mighty man of valor. I wish I had time to give you all of these. Valor, fearless courage. Shall I have it? I'm going to say it again. Fearless courage. You need to study it. Nehemiah chapter 11. 400, three score and eight valiant men. 468 valiant men were all God needed to repopulate Jerusalem, build that wall and reestablish his kingdom in that beautiful shimmering diamond on a velvet couch called the city of Jerusalem, the exact geographical center of the entire planet. God said, I only need 468, but they're not normal people. They are mighty men and women of valor. They are valiant. What does that mean? It means they have fearless courage. I speak it to you now. It means they are men and women of virtue. What is virtue? Moral excellence. Oh, I wish I had an hour. Moral excellence. Somebody gives you $25 uh, and uh, wrong change, take it back. It doesn't belong to you. It's ill-gotten gain and it will curse you. Boy, I'm on fire tonight. Somebody just say, yes, you are. Fan me a little bit. Moral excellence. I don't lie. I'm talking about you. Cheat. Steal. Speak untoward. No, sir. I have moral excellence. I raise the standard of morality. Morality, moral excellence is what you do talking about somebody in another room when they're not there, but you don't not brave enough to stand up and say it to their face. You have no moral excellence whatsoever, nor will the blessing of God ever follow you in any large degree. Moral excellence, hallelujah. It's what you do when you're alone. People say to me all the time, preachers will say to me, got a lot of preachers watching tonight. Preachers will say to me, well, you know, Susie so-and-so just comes on to me all the time. Women just come on to me all the time. Do you know why? Because you give off that spirit. Don't be flirtatious. Hello? People tell me all the time, well, women follow me to my hotel room. I guess they do. Because you sit on the platform and lust after them. There is a spirit realm, you know. And you're not hiding in it. There, everything is exposed. 
every thought, the meditation of your heart, your inwardmost desires are known before the throne of God. You believe that, don't you? You believe he hears you when you pray, don't you? Well, he hears you when you cuss too. Fourth, they are men and women of strength. And fourth, they are men and women of overpowering wealth. You ought to just lift up at least one hand right now and say, thank you, Lord. I receive the blessing of Abraham. Thank you, Lord. I receive money. Money is mine now. My bills are paid. I am blessed financially, and I'm on my way to greater blessing because I am faithful in my giving. Oh, hallelujah. That's popcorn praise anyway. Hallelujah. Leadership is a spiritual responsibility. Just as we are stewards of our finances, so also are we stewards of the people we are given leadership over. There are many, many different leadership styles in your Bible. Elijah was a loner. Know anybody like that? He was a loner, but no less a great, great leader. Uh, Moses was a delegator a man of stuttering lips, and he delegated, masterful delegator, hallelujah. But always remember this in delegation, you do not get ever what you expect. Oh, write this down. You will never ever get what you expect as a delegator. You will, however, get what you inspect. So to delegate does not mean you take your hands off of it forever. People, that, that's like people that, well, I sent an email. Well, did your email get answered? An email sent does not equate to a communication. Oh, I'm giving it to you tonight. Hallelujah. Who, who else are we talking about? Well, Moses was a delegator. Peter was a bit brash. He can cut your ear off in a second. Well, he's a great leader. Amen. John was tender-hearted. Leadership has everything to do with character and little of anything to do with style. Now you missed that, and I ought to spend a week right there. Leadership has everything to do with character and very little to do with style. So don't attempt to pattern your style of leadership after someone else. Go back to last week's lesson, find out uh, which of the personality types God has gifted you with, and then expand that gift. Emphasize your strengths, minimize your weaknesses, amen? And be the leader God's called you to, to be. Biblical leadership has everything to do with character. In the study of biblical leadership, the character of Paul is very appropriate to examine uh, through his writings in the New Testament. He had arguably more influence than any mortal human being, leaving out the Lord Jesus, of course, in all of history. Leadership is influence. You missed it. Leadership is influence. And if it is influence, and it is, then Paul was one of the greatest leaders of all time. Paul's background served both his ministry and his leadership. Now that means something because we often skip over Paul's conversion. We, pay, we, we, don't, we don't catch enough the magnitude of Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul the Apostle. And what is notable is that when he became Paul the Apostle, all of the leadership qualities that he exhibited as Saul the persecutor of the church 
were then magnified by God and used in God's kingdom to even a greater degree. So he didn't get rid of his leadership skills. He just brought them over into the kingdom of God and they accelerated, amen? And that's what God wants to do with you. So your background is important. Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. He didn't do that. He was, he was not able to accomplish that task because he didn't ever go to school. I, don't, I get nervous around people that diminish education in an attempt to exalt the anointing. God only anoints what's already in you, unless it's the manifestation of a gift of the Spirit. In other words, if you don't know a word, God doesn't give it to you, does he? God anoints what's already in you. Paul spoke four languages. The apostle Paul spoke four languages. We could at least attempt to speak one with some degree of accuracy. Amen. Amen. He knew Greek, Latin, Aramaic. He was a Roman citizen. He studied under Gamaliel as a teenager. A teenager. Paul wasn't satisfied to go over and play pinball in the youth group. He got right at the feet of the greatest, one of the greatest teachers, philosophers, and leaders of his day as a teenager. Hallelujah. When I was growing up, I used to search the newspaper. What for? For meetings to go to. When I was in my early teens, I would take the Columbus Dispatch, and at that time there was something called the Citizen Journal in Columbus. No city should be without two newspapers. Oh, that went over big. And, and so I would scan that for meetings to go to. Now, I was a Baptist, but I got saved under a woman preacher that we didn't believe in in a Pentecostal service where they were talking in tongues, and we didn't believe in that either. But I would, I would search. I didn't search. I didn't search the movie page. We didn't go to movies. But I'd go to church. I'd find a revival when I was 15 years old and sit on the third row and cry like a baby in a church that had nothing to do with me. Now you can't get people that are members of churches to show up on Sunday morning. You understand? Seek to learn. Gamaliel was uh, a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. That, that's like the Jewish Supreme Court. So you might say that Paul as a teenager was sitting at the feet of a Supreme Court justice, not only in religious affairs of law and religious life, but also in the practical law of his day. He was a student of the law. Paul was in training to become a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a hater and a persecutor of the church. And suddenly, a light shone out of heaven. And God didn't make him brand new in that he did away with who he was before. He took everything about who he was before, sanctified it, and brought it on into the kingdom. Well, God will take a drug dealer that could sell drugs to people that didn't want them and use that very same gift to preach the gospel. Look at George Bloomer. I'm just here to tell you tonight that God will use your past experience. We don't grasp the magnitude of his conversion. Everything in his pre-Christian background was ultimately used for the glory of God. Most of what shapes our lives, most of what shapes our lives uh, are life role relationships. Life role relationships, what does that mean? A teacher, a spouse, a coach. If you think back through your life right now, who were the most influential people in your life? It was some life role relationship that influenced you the most. Leadership will flow, does not flow from a title nor a position. <sighs> Leadership does not flow from a title or a position. If you're put in a position, the first thing that you have to do is win the loyalty of those over whom you have been placed in that position of authority. I've seen people, I gave them a position. They didn't have a position. The first thing they did, find the leaders in that group, magnify their relationship with them. 
and become a great leader. I've watched others that I put in a position, they'll sit there for a year and never know who the key people are. Well, you'll never be a leader. You're quiet on me. Hallelujah. A few weeks ago, we touched a little bit lightly on 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. I love this. Let's examine it more closely tonight. Paul was particularly concerned with the effectiveness of the leaders in the churches that he himself had planted. So he gave specific qualifications, specific qualities of leaders that he wanted in leadership over those churches in two separate letters. One, 1 Timothy, and the other, the little book of Titus. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Uh, mark it out. Uh, you, want me to go, you want me to go through it or you want me to just pick out the high points? You want the high points? Okay, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer. Now, an overseer is a term in the New Testament which is very easily interchangeable with the term bishop, with the term elder, with the term pastor. Don't get caught up in all that. It, it's a leader. So if one aspires, aspires, shout aspires, to the office of leadership, that's the Greek origo. It means to reach out after, to seek toward. Uh, it does not describe, however, motives. Motivation is not what we're after. It doesn't, it doesn't describe a motivation like ambition. Why? Because ambition is one of the worst indicators of a true leader. Because ambition is a soulish and mental aspiring that has its roots in pride. When I, when I was called to ministry, the first thing I said came up out of my spirit, well, maybe I want to preach. Just as quickly as I said that, I said, no, I don't. I don't have any idea why I said that. When God showed me, began to show me what he wanted to do with me in ministry, I said, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with that. Why? I recognized the weightiness, the responsibility. I didn't set out with ambition to become something. Ambition is prideful. Do you understand? Okay, but there he aspires, meaning he desires. And then it says, he desires a noble task. The call to Christian leadership must be a driving inward compulsion. The best leaders are not those who set out to make a career of leadership. It's not a career choice. It, oh, now you're really quiet. It's an inward desire. It's something placed in there. Now you can, you can hone that, but I'm here to tell you that I truly believe leaders are born and then groomed. I believe that with all my heart. You're either, you've, it's, either, it's either in there or it's not. A lot of it has to do with your upbringing. If you were a child that were, was never trained to work ethic, it will be very difficult for you to ever aspire as a leader. Why? You have no work ethic. You don't understand that it's important. You understand? Okay. If you, here, here, here's, here. Let, me, let, me say it, let me say it this way to you. Now, I, I speak from experience as a minister of the gospel. But really, it's true in any aspect of life. If you can do anything else and live, do it. I'm going to try again. If you can do anything else and live, do it. Do it. Especially gospel ministry. Miss Joni, Miss, Miss Joni, she said she gets up on her car when we used to, got up on her car when we used to have uh, Valor Christian College, then World Harvest Bible College, before that World Harvest Bible Institute. Uh, and, and she said, I would, I'd pull up there. At that time, we had over 800 students. The entire parking lot over there was full. And she said, I'd just pull up on that parking lot and get out and yell, get out while you can. <laughs> Amen. If you can do anything else and live, do it. Because some of us can't do anything else and live. We have to be leaders. And I believe that's you. I said, I believe that's you. Then he says in verse 2 that he must, they must be above reproach. 
You, want to, you really want to be a leader? You're going to have to live above reproach. A life without blame. That does not mean that they are without sin. If it did, no one would qualify because none of us are without sin. If we say we have no sin, we disqualify ourselves because we're liars. Amen? So it's not talking about being without sin. Uh, what it does mean is that your reputation is not marred by some sinful defect in your character. That's a whole different story. That would prevent you from setting an appropriate standard of conduct. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, anybody ever hear of Planet Shakers? Pretty big, powerful organization. Uh, well, Planet Shakers had a leader uh, over in Australia by the name of Michael Googly El Mucci. Googly El Mucci. Ah, talking in tongues. And uh, he was the author, actually, of the song that uh, you've heard sung a thousand times called Healer. Now, he scammed his wife. He scammed Planet Shakers. He scammed millions of believers by telling them the tale uh, that he had been diagnosed with cancer and that's what inspired the song Healer. Made a great story. The problem was it wasn't true. He didn't have cancer, had never had cancer, and he had to admit that openly in public that he had never been sick at all. Actually, the reason he looked gaunt and the reason he looked ill is because he was completely bound by a severe addiction to pornography that manifested in all those physical symptoms, which then prompted the cancer story. That is a flaw in character. You see the difference? Not that somebody sinned, not that somebody fell and, and, and repented, and, but to carry out such a scheme to defraud people uh, is an entirely different situation. Can you understand that? All right. Uh, whether and when we restore someone to leadership in the church is an entirely separate question. But for my, for my money, uh, let me say this, there needs to be a whole lot more consecration, repentance, walking that repentance out, and true restoration when people that have been given positions of leadership in the church sin on Tuesday, say I'm sorry on Wednesday, say their income increased 100% on Thursday, and stay in the pulpit. Amen. And I, I don't have time to bring that to you from the scripture, but that is, that is what I believe. They must be the husband of one wife. Oh, oh. Now, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, I was taught that that was what we commonly referred to at that time as double married. Meaning you've been married, you've been divorced, and now you're remarried. That disqualified you in our denomination from serving in any form of leadership. I believe that's a misunderstanding of the scripture. Don't have time to go through it with you. But it, what it is talking about is not divorce, but sexual purity. Sexual purity. Because there are biblical reasons for divorce. You understand? Okay. Sexual purity. What, uh, I, I like what Paul said, though. Whatever state you're in, stop! Some folks just need to stop. Some folks need to be content being single. If you have to have somebody hanging on your arm to fulfill you, you will never, ever be fulfilled, ever. Stop looking. You will never be a good marriage partner until you are completely content being single, ever. Paul said, whatever situation I'm in, therewith I'm content. Some of you with a 40-year-old wife, stop looking for 220s, stop. Whatever situation you're in, stop. The grass is not greener on the other side and those false eyelashes will fall off and you'll find yourself in wreck and ruin. Be sober-minded, be temperate, which literally means wineless. Ooh. 
I didn't say it. Don't shoot me. I'm just a piano player. Elton John and I. Amen. I'm just telling you what the word means. It means wineless. You want to be a leader? Why would you want to intoxicate yourself? A leader must be sober-minded. Amen. Able to make rational decisions. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I get nervous with presidents that want to have a beer with everybody, regardless of whether they're Democrats or Republicans. I don't want the president walking around with a beer in his hand. My God, man, the world's in crisis. We need you to be clear-headed. God needs his leaders to be the same way. Don't shout me down now just because I'm preaching. Hallelujah. Sexually pure. Where am I? Respectable. The Greek for it is orderly. Orderly. Organize your sock drawer. Have some order about you. Hospitable. It means to love strangers. To love strangers. We had a situation here not long ago in the ministry, and uh, I happened to have known the couple that was involved. And uh, it happened to be the first time that they'd ever attended church here, but I knew that they had moved their entire family from a very long distance to simply be a part of our fellowship here at World Harvest Church. Moved away from an extremely lucrative business, and the first time they were here, a negative situation went on. And when I asked our team about how it was handled afterwards, they not knowing that I knew the people involved or why they were here. I said, well, did we do this? No. Did we do that? No. Did we do this? No. I said, well, why not? The response was, well, they were visitors. Or angels. Do you understand? So they must be, they must be, they must be able to love strangers. They must be apt or able to teach. Now that doesn't mean that you get up here and do what I'm doing right now. You may not do that at all. But able to research, able to understand doctrine, able to dig into the scriptures yourself, understanding with a spirit of humility and deep spiritual understanding the, 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 the key doctrines of the faith, able to give an answer to any man concerning your faith. Hallelujah. Marked by holiness. Marked by holiness. God's business is not like any other business. And you are not like any other person. It doesn't matter whether you're working in a bank or you're a homemaker or you are out on a, an assembly line or you in, are in an office tower or a penthouse suite. You're God's people first. And you conduct yourself with holiness without which no man shall see God. Ooh, ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost right up here in leadership class. Oh my. Diligent to study the scriptures, avoiding error. Courageous to speak one's convictions. Oh, what a quality of leadership. What a quality of leadership able to speak your convictions firmly, strongly, and in love. My pastor, Dr. Lester Sumrall, was a very, very, very unique individual. Uh, he had three very accomplished sons, uh, all of them my elders. But uh, the Holy Ghost gave him a liking for me. And uh, for about 10 years, I don't know that there was a week that we were not together, uh, ever. If, if I had to get in the car and drive over there, whatever I had to do, I was where he was at some point during the week. 
And so I was always involved in his business, always involved in his ministry. He called me in one day and he put up on the board. He said, now here, I believe uh, that uh, I shall do this and then I shall move that there and then we will set out to do this. And he had his sons there and me. And uh, all of the sons said, yes, I think that's great. Amen, said son number two. Son number three, he was a little more uh, like me. And he said, well, I think there are some considerations here we should at least talk about. Hmm. Rod, well, Brother Summerall, with all due respect, I don't know of anything in anything you just shared that I would give my amen to. And he went. The only reason I conducted this meeting is to show the three of you what it's like to have somebody that'll tell you the truth. I proved myself. I wasn't, I'm not a yes man. I have an opinion. I feel that it's valid. When I'm with leaders, I will express my opinion. Now once, if I have someone in authority over me, once I've expressed my opinion behind closed doors and whoever's in authority, if my pastor had said, well, we're, I appreciate that, I put that before the Lord and I still feel like it's the direction of the Lord to do it. Once I walked outside that door, no living human being would have ever known that I disagreed, not even my wife, with anything that he said. I'm there to serve him, to serve his vision, not mine! If you are not faithful in that which belongs to another man, you will never possess your own. I think I'll get behind the desk. Are you learning anything? Oh, hallelujah, I am. Uh, not quarrelsome. It's all there in the scriptures. Verse three, not quarrelsome. This is crucial to fostering unity and harmony in a leadership team. You ever get in a room with somebody, they just disagree. I, I told somebody not long ago, I said, if Jesus sat here and gave three opinions, you'd disagree with every single one of them. You're just disagreeable. Just have a disagreeable spirit. That's fostered in you, usually from your upbringing. It's like pouting. It's fostered in you. Are you listening? Don't be quarrelsome. Some of y'all, if you're, no matter what your spouse says, you take the opposite opinion. You got a head coach on a football team. He can't stand there on the sidelines and argue with you about every call he makes. That's what led to the Buckeyes thriller last night. <laughs> Notre Dame had a great, <laughs> I got a church over there too. <laughs> I think I'll be a Notre Dame fan. Bless the Lord. Uh, this is very, very powerful. Not a lover of money. Study it out. Study it out. Find out what it means. Because what develops is a false sense of humility. You don't really believe that God doesn't want you to have anything or you'd sell your house and give it to the poor. You don't really believe that. That's just a religious spirit. You don't really believe that God doesn't want you to have anything or why don't you do what they do in China? Get rid of your car and get a bicycle. You don't really believe that. You don't really believe that if you have more than one pair of shoes, because you give your second pair to somebody that doesn't have one. You don't really believe that. So that's not humility at all. That's false humility. What it actually means is you have a generous spirit, that you're generous. I know people that have very little in the way of money, but they're very generous. I know other people that have more money than God allows and don't have a generous bone in their body. So we're talking about being generous, having a generous spirit. Beware church leaders. I see this in young men, I see it over and over and over and over. That's the reason most of them don't invite me to sit on their boards. 
because the first thing that they want to do is get out a map of a city and find out where the wealthiest people in that town live. And that's where they feel like God always wants them to put a church. And then after they do that, the next thing that they do is find the two wealthiest people in their church and put them on the board. Wealth has nothing to do with generosity and it has very little to do with leadership. Are you listening to me right now? Don't make that mistake. Don't exalt someone. Haddon Spurgeon sat the Queen of England on the third row and street urchins on the first. You're quiet. You're quiet. Do you understand? Generous spirit. Say, I'm going to have a generous spirit. A generous spirit. What does it mean? Help folks. Help people. I was going through Starbucks three days ago, and, and when I went through there, the car in front of me paid for my, I got one of those little sandwiches. They're good too. I got one of those little sandwiches, and, and the lady said, the car in front of you took care of your bill. How generous. I was in the airport the other day on my way to Dallas, and the pastor of Columbus Christian Center, who's a wonderful friend of mine, walked past me, and he ran back to where I was, and he said, I can't leave here without putting this in your hand, and he put a $100 bill in my hand. What? He's a, it's a generous spirit. I didn't need the $100. I turned right around and gave it to somebody that looked like they needed it, but I I felt that he had a generous spirit. It could have been $10,000, or it could have been 10. It could have been buying somebody's Starbucks. Be a leader. Don't be selfish. If you're, if you're in someone's church, I've got hundreds and hundreds of people watching me. If you're in somebody's church and your pastor says, we're gonna receive an offering now, and whatever that amount is, if you gotta fake it, fake it. Get to the altar. What am I talking about? Well, people are watching you. You're supposed to be a leader. Well, I don't have $100. Well, fake it. Come stand in the line, I'll put my hand on you and believe God for you, and at least you won't prove to everybody around you you're not a leader. Because you have no generous spirit. Yeah. <laughs> It's safer back here. Uh, not, it says, not, oh, oh, wait, oh, oh, wait, I can't leave this. Verse four, m must manage, must manage his own household well. God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you as the stars of the heaven because I know you're a man that will teach your children to know me. What goes on at home is the number one, number one, everybody say number one. What goes on at home is the number one training ground of leadership. Number one. There's not, a, there's not another. Rule your home well, mom. Rule your children well. Train them. Don't let them go in someplace and they're there for five minutes and it looks like a tornado's been through there. Oh, you wanted me to teach you something different. Teach your children to sit down. Teach them manners. Teach them be, to be polite. Teach them that a chair is to sit on, not to climb all over. Teach them that pretty little things sitting around are not to be touched. Why? You want them to be leaders, don't you? Well, then teach them discipline. No, I, I'm from another generation. I understand. I got a lot of gray hair, and I got the miles to prove why I've got it. Your children are not animals. When we went to someone's home, I promise you one thing, before we got out of the 64 Buick Skylark Sky Blue, 
with the little plastic covers that you could stick, you know, that had the little bubbles on them. Play with those. My dad put those in there. Every new car he got, protect those seats. And my parents would say, now when we go in here, <clears throat> there are some stairs. Uh, Rodney, you go over and you sit down on the right-hand side of the stairs. And Debbie, you go over and sit down on the left side of the stairs. And don't move until I tell you. Well, if my children aren't free to do what... No, you just, you just, you just telling everybody that you can't rule your house. That's all you're telling everybody. Amen. Rule your house. Hallelujah. I've only got 10 minutes left, so surely you can survive it. Amen. Are you learning anything? Exercising authority over your children. Let me give you these very quickly. Providing them enough government so that they can experience glory. Enough wisdom so it's reasonable for your children to obey you. Enough love to make it a joy for them to obey you. You see, they're going to respond to God in the way you've trained them to respond to you. That's the reason some of you can't get past that. God's not some angry tyrant ready to slap you on the mouth every two seconds. If you'll train your child, you won't have to slap them. Train them. Love them. Nurture them. My wife said the other day, well, I'm, I'm having a little bit of difficulty with so-and-so. I said, train them. Train them. Hallelujah. Enough love to make it a joy to obey, and a, a leader must surely, surely do everything in their power to convince their children to live for God wholeheartedly. Amen. Now, if yours aren't living for God right now, just hold on. Because if you train them up in the right way, you have the promise. You and your house shall be saved. They may be wayward right now, but they'll come. They'll find their way home, wagging their little tails behind them. Just hold on to that. But you have to train them in order to have that promise. Amen. What does this have to do with leadership? I don't know. Ask Paul. He wrote it. In some, integrity is everything. That's what we're talking about, integrity. Grammar lesson number two from Mr. Webster. Disseminate means to spread throughout as though sowing seed. I will disseminate the information from our meeting to our other employees. Disseminate. Say it. Disseminate. 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 To distribute. I love this quote from Napoleon Bonaparte. When I give a minister an order, this is Napoleon Bonaparte, I leave it to him to find the means to carry it out. <laughs> Hallelujah. Scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Isn't that a great promise? Shall I receive it? God makes no plans for your failure. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14, read it later. Servant leadership is 100% commitment. James 1, 6 through 8. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. How much time do I have? Seven minutes? Watch this. We're going to look now at Paul's journey to Rome in Acts 27. It is a brilliant illustration of leadership. The apostle Paul boarded a ship in Caesarea as a prisoner and by the end of that ship's voyage, everyone on board was following his lead. Think of that. What a mighty man of leadership he was. You get loaded on board as a prisoner in stocks. And by the end of the thing, you're running the whole ship. Hallelujah. Shout, that's me. Well, it never will be if you don't believe it is. 
Shout, it's me. Hallelujah. Verse three, he proved his trustworthiness. Say that word, trustworthiness. The day after the ship departed, the leader on board, Julius, permitted the apostle Paul to visit friends and receive medical attention beyond what his traveling companion uh, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, Luke, could provide. That means something because if Julius lost a prisoner, it would cost him his life. So it took Paul 24, 30 hours from being put on as a prisoner to win such influence in the life of the man who had authority over him that he said, I'll, I'll unloose your chains and I'll let you go on shore to receive medical attention. I know that you'll come back. Paul had already demonstrated such character to that man that he inevitably and, and, and actually placed his own life in Paul's hands. Paul gave him his word, I'm coming back. The man trusted it with his life. That's a leader. That's a leader. Verses nine and 10, he took initiative. He had no standing on the ship. He wasn't in charge of anything, he was a prisoner. But he told the ship's captain that because it was late in the year, it was folly to continue that voyage. Paul drew on his experience in negotiating and navigating in the seas. He used that experience as a seaman and he spoke up despite his standing. Do you know that you can say about anything to anybody if you say it in the right spirit and attitude? But you can say virtually nothing in the wrong spirit. Paul, Paul had no standing on that ship. I mean, Julius could have said, shut your mouth and sit down. But apparently Paul presented himself in such a way that they considered what he was sharing. They went ahead and put it up to a vote, which is always dangerous. They, they put it up to a vote and they decided to continue the voyage and it was to all of their great peril. Verses 11 through 12, Paul used good judgment. The, I'm giving you the keys of leadership. I've given you three in this story. He used good judgment. Risk has its place, but a good leader does not put his team in harm's way unnecessarily. Just don't do it. You just don't do it. Most importantly, a good leader will not knowingly set anyone on their team up for failure. You, won't, you, won't, you don't set people up for failure. You, you don't give a beautiful hound dog a tree climbing job suitable more for an alley cat. You just don't do it. He is no leader who sends first his soldiers into battle. If you're not going to test those waters, why would you send somebody else out into them? Verses 21 through 24, he spoke with authority. Authority. Paul didn't hesitate to share the word of the angel. The angel gave him a word. Paul did not hesitate to share that word. He was not self-confident. He was confident in the promise of God. God gave him a promise and he's gonna stand on it. Hallelujah. That's what I call tried and tested. He made sure that God was the focus and not him. Uh, we must know the scriptures Say yes. <laughs> we must know the scriptures. Let me, let me catch up to myself here. If you don't know what you're talking about, don't talk. I'm, I should just write a book on that. If you don't know what you're talking about, don't talk. Some people just talk to hear their own voice. Preachers especially. You're looking at me funny. Why are you pointing at me? 
just love to hear their own voice. <clears throat> Though beaten and battered, they are not bowed. They're propelled by a power greater than themselves. They're compelled by an inward desire to serve an infallible leader with irresistible power, which is based on absolute truth. I told three preachers yesterday, if you've got a hold of truth, you let nothing turn your plow. It's truth. I don't care what anybody else says about it. It's truth. In order to have that kind of confident authority, you're gonna to have to invest some time in solitude. Oh, now you know. You. Do you know the loneliest people on earth? Leaders, true leaders. They're the loneliest people on earth. If they didn't spend that time in solitude, they wouldn't be able to discern with the wisdom that they discern with. They wouldn't be able to hear and know and recognize and move in the voice of God like they do. Some people just have to be around too many people too much. You ought to learn the beauty and the power of spending time alone until you're not alone anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Communion with God's word, with confidence and conviction is so important. If you're not sure, don't go there. Sharing the vision of the angel put Paul out on a limb. If it hadn't come to pass, as he said, he'd have been in desperate trouble. For 20 years here, we had an elder that took down every prophetic word I ever uttered. Every single one. And at the end of 20 years, he gave it to me. And he said, every word you ever said would come to pass, came to pass exactly as God said you said it. As you said, God said it. That's a 20 year track record. If you don't know, don't say. But if you do know, say with confidence. A leader strengthens others, gotta quit. A leader encourages, a leader is, does not shy away from sharing painful details. Paul said, this ship's gonna run aground. <laughs> Follow me, we're about to be shipwrecked. Amen? Jeremiah, cheer up, it's gonna get worse. Amen didn't shy away from those details because honesty establishes a leader's true credibility. Oh, glory to God. I know pastors are forevermore saying, God's gonna have us do this and God's gonna have us do that and God's gonna do something else. And their church members contact me and they say, nothing they say ever comes to pass. We've been gonna build buildings and we've been gonna, and never have done any of it. Hallelujah. When I said we were gonna build a 5,200 seat building, we built the thing. When I said we were going to build a 133,000 square foot ministry activity center and pay cash for it, $25 million, that's exactly what we did. Are you listening to me? So it's important. Be optimistic and enthusiastic. You cannot effectively motivate through criticism. Zeal is contagious and so is fear. You can't be an effective leader and be pessimistic. Paul was on his way to Rome in chains, in bondage, and had more reason to complain and less reason to be optimistic than anybody on the whole ship. But he helped the others see past their pain and their fear to the triumph that the angel had promised. Haddon Spurgeon said this, if a man is on fire for God, people will come from miles around just a watching burn. Hallelujah. Never, never compromise on the absolutes. I got 60 seconds. Never compromise on the absolutes. After two weeks, two sailors sought to escape the ship and Paul went directly to the leader, Julius, to prevent it from happening. He knew that those sailors' escape would put everybody else on that ship in doom of peril. Times at certain times, radical action is necessary in defense of vital goals. Oh, I wish you'd write that down. Get it, get it, get it. At times, radical action is necessary in defense of vital goals. 
Verses 33 through 36, he focused on the objectives, not the obstacles, encouraged the crew and made sure their physical needs were met before the shipwreck at Malta. When you're in distress, busy yourself. Say, get busy. Am I over time? How much over am I? Are you all right? I'm four minutes over, but I'm almost finished. I just gave you a tremendous key. I hate to bypass it so quickly. If you're in distress, busy yourself. The worst thing you can do is sit in a chair and stare out the window and play the woe is me game. Get up and get busy. Clean your house. You won't be as depressed if you just get the dirt out the floor. Go clean your car. Busy yourself. Go take somebody a pot of flowers and tell them God loves them. Get busy. Do something. Don't sit around with idle time and an idle mind. When you're in a battle, keep going. Head up, shoulders square, and keep moving forward. Glory to God. A leader, verses 35 through 36, empowers by example. They hadn't eaten in two weeks, and Paul said, come on, let's eat. Amen. Before that ship headed into the harbor, ultimately coming to pieces, he ate and asked everyone else to do the same. Being encouraged, then the crew was made ready to complete the voyage. Verse 41, and falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. Here, here's my closer. And the forepart stuck fast and remained immovable. But the hinder part was broken up with the violence of the waves. Are you ready? God's about to cancel your past. Let it go. So that it cannot contaminate your present and cancel your future. Hallelujah. The hinder part is destroyed, but the forward part remains steadfast. Keep moving. Who cares what's behind you? Forgetting those things which are behind. Forget it. Forget it. Let me say it this way. Get over your fine self. Forget it. It's over. It's over what they did to you. It's over what they said. It's over. It's over. They're brand new vistas. Straight ahead. Your greatest days are straight ahead. Give God glory. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.